Hello, hello. Hello. This is Finish Big. Finish Big, yes. Oh. <laughs> Where were you then? I was going to say I'm Mark. Oh, and I'm Joe. Hello. And this is Finish Big. <laughs> it is Finish Big, you're right. We're finishing big today, baby. We are Actually, getting through them. We're not finishing big today, are we? We're finishing halfway. Halfway, yeah. <laughs> we're not even getting all the way through it. <laughs> no, we're not. Most unusual. Premature finishing. <laughs> <laughs> sort of pausing to take in the scenery, finishing. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are listening our way through all of Big Finish. Mm. We've been doing and... this for some time now, you know. Oh, yes. I mean, we're getting a bit faster. Well, what's this? 30, 31 and 32? Yes. I feel as if we've seen... The highs, the lows, and the in-betweens. A big finish so far. And Fly Me to the Moon. That was the absolute lowest low. <laughs> that was the nadir of big finish. Well, we couldn't get more different this time. We are doing the first three stories of the next batch of Paul McGann. Eight Doctor stories. We are back in the main range. Is this the main range? This is the main range, yes. Or was Paul McGann's just considered... It was. This... He, was he was in the main range for a long time, yeah. But this was the only series of continuing adventures, right? How do you mean? What for? Well, like all of the, the Doctor. Sixth Doctor and the Fifth Doctor and the Seventh Doctor ones. They're just sort of standalones. Some of them, like something like uh, Jubilee into Pirates into Arrangement for War, and uh, sorry, into Project Project Destiny, Project Twilight. No, what's that? No, one? they didn't really carry on that much. A but, few of them, uh, not. In One of them has as... Evelyn Smythe at the end in tears. Well, we're not talking about that. We are talking about... <laughs> you always do this. Whatever episode we're on, you always want to talk about something completely different. That's right. Well, no, this is different because Paul McGann, at this time, is the current Doctor. Yes, right. He is the... He is the one that is having the new series of continuing adventures and anything can happen. Anything can happen. And uh, I don't know if you remember a sort of secret clandestine meeting, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen style of all of the new adventure writers coming together and Gary Russell there heading it, you know, probably a bit like, um, you know, uh, The Wizard of Oz behind all the smoke and the screen going, oh, we've got Paul McGann. And everyone's all of a flutter, you know? Yeah, well, we had quite a successful start last time. Well, we had Storm Warning, Sword of Orion, Stones of Venice and Minuet in Hell, so we ended up in a. It was bit literally of a weird, great a, shit, great yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the three that we're talking about today are Invaders from Mars. We'll have to do some doubling up. The Chimes of Midnight. I need you to die, Edith. Kill yourself now. And Seasons of Fear. Will you stop believing in things, Decurium? <laughs> I think it's Decurium, actually. Well, <laughs> Decurium, of course. Uh, well. Stop believing in things, Dick. So this was a six-part ongoing series, but we're just doing the first three this time because there's so much to talk about. We can't do six at once, can we? No, no, no. Well, six is a lot for one episode. It's a lot to do. And also, a little bit of a spoiler for the future, uh, we do, in fact, have our first special guest star appearing on Finish Big for the latter half of this season by the only straight man who would happily masturbate Paul McGann if he had the opportunity. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Mr. Luke Malloy. 
Oh, he loves him to pieces. Yes, oh, I know. He? he said when he appeared in Power of the Doctor, he creamed his pants. Yes. <laughs> he, well. lo- he loves him so much, <laughs> which is a good thing, because he's got to get through Embrace what? the Darkness and Time of the Daleks. But again, we're not talking about those oh, this yes. time. Yeah. Let's, let's head up. <laughs> so let's start with Invaders from Mars, shall we? Okay. So this story was released in January 2002. Starring Paul McGann and India Fisher. Woo-woo! A uh, current hot couple of Doctor Who. Not like that. A Doctor and Companion couple. No, have you seen her on those covers? Have you seen her on the Charles Midnight cover? <laughs> she looks hot as fuck. <laughs> Honestly, India Fisher. Well, this also guest starred Ian Hallard, Mark Benton, Simon Pegg and Jessica Stevenson. It... Can I just say something to you? Mm-hmm. Mark Benton appeared in Rose. Mm-hmm. Simon Pegg appeared in Father's Day. Jessica Hines appeared in Family of Bloods. And who's the other one? Ian Hallard. Ian Hallard appeared in Robot Sherwood. They've all been in the new series. Yeah, it's a great cast, this one. Yeah. Uh, it was written by Mark Gattis. It was. Is Direct. It Gat- Can we sell this? Is it Gattis or oh, Gatis? Gatis. I don't okay, know. You tell me to Gattis, Gatis. Whatever. So I don't Please mind. continue. It was also directed by Mark G. And <laughs> music was by Alistair Locke. Yeah. A very unusual score for this one. A very unusual story, this one. Yeah, very... It's a choice, isn't it, for the opening of this second season? Yeah, well, can I tell you a fabulous fact immediately? Mm-hmm. Chimes of Midnight was supposed to go first in this run. And uh, what the pitch was, was they wanted a fun and frothy adventure for the Doctor and Charlie. And then Rob Shimon delivered Chimes of Midnight. And I was like, maybe we won't start on suicide. You know? Mm, yeah. <laughs> so instead, you know, Mark Gates had this brilliant idea of War of the Worlds um, being broadcast. It's a fabulous premise, I think. There's actually a genuine alien invasion occurring whilst they're trying to debunk the fact that they're advertising that an alien invasion is occurring. It is a brilliant idea, mm. and it's bringing the Doctor back to America. I mean, he was in America before with Minuet in Hell. This Doctor... Do you have to remind me of Minuet in Hell? Well, I don't, it's, it's enforcing that, because we have, obviously, the TV movie in America. It feels like this current Doctor has those American ties oh, and keeps right. going back to America, because that's yeah. the current sort of where he came from. I suppose if it so, had gone to series, he would have been in America every week, wouldn't he? Maybe. Well, we said <laughs> we, like we're in we London say in Minuet in Hell, would the, te- would the series be like that? And then he would go back in time in America and he'd have a yeah. This War of the Worlds episode. I oh, never. Imagine but, this with a budget on TV. But we were when we were listening to this. There's a lot of characters in this. Oh, tons. this was the thing that we had the problem, and I've always had a problem with this. Where I mean, there's lots of doubling up of these actors playing loads and loads of, and I find it very difficult. I don't know because there's always a criticism, isn't there, with American accents in Big Finish things like we had with them. Um, Becky Lee from Becky, Becky Lee Kowalski. I thought the forces of darkness. Yeah, yeah but that was Helen Golden. That. We know exactly. she's exactly. I know exactly. But we've got these these uh, actors as well doing American accents, and oh. I find it. I found it very difficult to distinguish who was who, and whether they were doubling up or they were playing somebody else. And there's just so much happening yeah, all at once. One. Episode especially one, especially in episode one, packed. and it's so, like twenty minutes long. 
Yeah, they given are, they're all, given they're how all long about it is, 20 minutes yeah, long. Yeah, a lot they're quite short. Episode. And nothing is really explained. No. You've got the Doctor and Charlie materialising. So you've got them materialising and then the Doctor taking on this private eye. Oh, that's great, though. Persona, which is brilliant. <laughs> which is loving absolutely it. wonderful. Mr. Halliday. Pardon? Oh, um, um, yes, yes, that's me. Doctor? Doctor. Uh, Doctor, uh, Jack Halliday, private investigator. Indiscretion assured. I never advertise the title. People badger you to look at their tonsils. Can I help? With my tonsils? No, I imagine you want to hire me. You came recommended. Shall we go up? Why not? Uh, Charlie, do you have, uh, my keys? What? Oh, uh, yes. My associate, Miss Pollard. You are? My name is Glory B. I need your help, Mr. Halliday. Desperately. I see. Well, um, go on up, Miss B. It, it's the, uh, the second floor. Doctor, what do you think you're doing? You know, I'm not at all sure. Let's see what happens. Then you've got these gangs going on and someone's got a ray gun, obviously, from some alien tech thing. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Orson Welles and his yeah. radio thing record, you know, um, recording War of the Worlds. So you've got all these three things and they don't always tie together because then more elements are put in later on in episode two. So I've never, I've never really got on with this one myself. I've always sort of given up well, a little even bit on halfway this one. through. Even on this lesson. This one was the one that I've really understood the most because I was really trying to concentrate, but I, I always find you, I have to concentrate too much on this one, for me. Can I very... Because I think you're right. A lot happens very early on. In episode three, it all really clicks into place and they do explain what everybody's up to. And basically, essentially, some... Technology has fallen down to 30s America and you've got Jessica Hines playing a Russian agent who's posing as an American to bring the doctor in as a detective. What? Why are you holding me? I'm doing this for Mother Russia. Oh, her, Amer- her American <laughs> accent was even worse. better. She was doubling up and she's going, okay, Mr. Kowalski. <laughs> <laughs> she was great. So so the Russians are after this tech. Then you've got Cosmo Devine, who is this very camp sort of um, Liberace type character, mm. uh, madly over the top. But he's a Nazi. They're also <laughs> after the technology. And then the aliens who the technology belongs to turn up halfway through episode two with cod comedy voices. And they're also after the So you've got three sets. It's a bit like Silver Nemesis. It is. They're all after after this this technology. Um, And I did think come episode three, I was like, right, I'm keeping pace with this now. I know what's going to... But in those first two, I was like, this is very confusing. Because all the Doctor and Charlie do in those first couple of episodes is get a, a clue or two and stand around and chat while everything yeah. else happens. They are very much in the background. It doesn't use our new amazing Doctor and Companion team that well no. to begin with. And, and know, I think I wanted more Leaping ahead for a second, just for a second, okay. Chimes of Midnight, on the other hand, the first episode of that utilises the yeah. Doctor and Charlie brilliantly, yeah. as brilliantly as they will ever mm. be utilised in that episode mm. one. So, but with that, it's a funny one to start off this new season, maybe if they're trying to get new listeners on board, because we had this p- free with part one of the ratings war, didn't we, with Doctor Who magazine. Can you imagine getting part one of this? Exactly, though? yeah, you get part one of this. It might like, put me off a little bit. Yeah, I'll be like, it's not okay. like getting part one of Storm Warning. That fits no. more. But So this one, but the Doctor and Chuck, we know that they're a success now. Or they, I mean, they know it's a success and Paul McGann is really more into this 
he, I mean, he signed up for a second season. Big Finish must have been re- relieved. What's, what's sort of different with the second series is they have created a structured season mm. with ongoing plot arcs, mm. all to do with Charlie being saved from the R101. Basically, Doctor Who's being played like Buffy now. It's yeah. a season rather than individual stories. And this is where those little hints start to come in. Well, Mark Gatiss was pissed. Because um, the reviews came out, and obviously there's a, there's a few factual inaccuracies in Invaders from Mars about the CIA and things like this, and it's deliberate because the Web of Times up the spell because Charlie survived, so he's going, oh, never mind, you know, the fact that it was entertaining piece and well acted and well written and all this, just one little detail like that can ruin the experience for you. Mate, Mark, I love you to pieces, but remember, you are dealing with Doctor Who fans here, all right? If they can't figure out where a story's set, that's enough to set them off. But I didn't really pick up... I wouldn't have necessarily known that those things... There's only a few little mentions. Maybe they needed to make that more explicit, like it is in the Times of Midnight and Seasons of Fear. There's a lot more. But here, it's so subtle, it does just look like a mistake that they've mentioned, because you mentioned like KGB or something like that. The one one fact (laughs) that was really obvious was when the Doctor quotes Shakespeare and Orson Welles doesn't know who Shakespeare is. Yes. And that's tying into Time of the Daleks later in the season. But it still doesn't... There's no other hint about this web of time thing. We haven't had anything else about that. And that no. something's going on. But then on. should you start the season on that note? Should you start the season on that note? There of... could have been something at, that maybe right at the end... Yeah, maybe the last As a little coder or something. That's something that Buffy always did really well. Was they'd have a light opener, usually. Mm. And then the last scene would feature yeah. some old villain coming back or something but like that. But you're saying you know, they're creating... Kicking a, off the season. But that's the thing. They're creating a season. Curating. Um, <laughs> if you are curating it then you need to think about that and not put something in it. That you, like you say, have that opener as the opener and maybe... But they, it feels like they haven't done that. But maybe that's because they shuffle things around. But in terms of Midnight, yeah. if that did start off, that would have been a whole wham in your face weather time. <laughs> yeah. And do you know what? Whilst some part of me is like, be brave and start a season with the Chimes of Midnight, because mm. that's a hell of a story to open a season mm. on. Something to sort of ease you in as i've said to you before an aperitif mm. at the start of the meal you know a little light sorbet or something like that rather than you know a full meaty course yeah <laughs> <laughs> so what about the other performances in this did you were you okay with the american accents and the i think the it's many characters you know what? i think it's really odd because you've got jessica hines and simon Pegg. i couldn't tell which and one Mark simon Benton, Pegg. Would... all giving outrageous comic performances okay and for the most part, it works, but they're kind of doing these sort of gangster performances, you know. And she's doing her American accent and for Mother Russia, and all it's all very over the top. Then you've got Orson Welles and his fella, and they're giving really natural performances. So we're going from scenes that are just insanely comic and over the top to scenes that are played like normal drama. So I'm like, what am I listening to? This is Arson Wells, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> just coming in here to let you know that Finish Big is purely for entertainment purposes <laughs> only. <laughs> also wank feathers. <laughs> oh, sorry. I don't know where that came from. But you're hot, you know. Anyway, um, I thought the depiction of America 
in this was a lot better than Minuet in Hell. They sort of capture that sort of foggy street in uh, New York well, and, really and well. The music plays into that as well. The, the, the stings. Oh, I'm going to shock it's you. It's supposed this. to be that sort of B movie style. Because it's all very. Bum, 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 yeah, but it's bum. supposed to be. Because... Yeah, but I don't think it helped the pace of the piece. It feels like a lot of scenes with these dramatic stings at the end. And this is, I'm going to say it, this is the first Alistair Locke store mm. score that I cannot recommend. I wouldn't listen to this. Well, no, it's it's functional for the story. It's not you're not going to get this on the an audio CD of just the music, the soundtrack music of this, are you? But I wonder if maybe uh, a score that guides because I do think music is very important in audio drama to to, to kind of dictate the pace. When we get to Chimes of Midnight, the score is essential in that story mm. in in it being a success. Whereas this, it is lots of choppy sort of. Um, but you get that. Yeah, that's what you got on. Old timey radio like that. Yeah, but I just mean, I, just mean I want to experience that as a Doctor it's Who trying drama. To do, yeah, but it's trying to put that in. I think it sits the scene quite well. Actually, I didn't mind the music in that. One thing I thought really, really worked well was the whole War of the Worlds thing. How we kept sort of cutting to the rehearsals. That like, I kept thinking, well, what the hell? Where the hell is this going? And then in the end, you've got the Doctor being a total ham, isn't he? Going, attention, everybody! The aliens are attacking, and they have to use. Are they trying to convince the aliens that have come down that but there, there are, are aliens, other, yes. there are other yeah. aliens attacking? They're doing it for the. Yeah. It's a really fun set. It's piece a brilliant of, yeah. idea. I do feel like he got that idea, War of the Worlds, as real. That's the seed of it, and then write a Doctor Who story around that. And you're trying to like. Do you know where he got it in. from? Well, oh, where he was in the bath, apparently, when the inspiration struck him. Oh, did it? <laughs> That's what he says. <laughs> Apparently, uh, Gary Russell had kittens when he saw the size of the cast. Well, yeah, it's and the most we have. He hates doing doubling up, apparently, because he said, you can absolutely so hear that it's... they're playing. And actually, we get we more can. doubling up later on in the season because you get three performers from Chimes of Midnight playing roles they always in Seasons of Fear. Yeah. Yeah, they always do that. Yeah. Well, we, we had, well, we had Helen Goldwyn throughout the whole of the first Paul McGann series. Helen Goldwyn can do no wrong. I know she right. can't, but they didn't get her in for this, did they? I'm sorry, I refuse to admit that Nick, <laughs> Nikki the Hiker and oh Nikki Lee Kowalski, Becky <laughs> Lee Kowalski was the same person. Well, you've got um, credited here as Katie Manning as reception guest in the background of this. Yeah, I never knew that. Recognise her. Well, excuse me. <laughs> and Alistair Locke is there somewhere as well. Oh, I don't know what a prestige cast we've got. He's been a Toastmaster. You're right, though. This is a bit of a celebrity cast. And actually, Gatiss is um, quoted as saying, he kept trying to get bigger and bigger names. And then he realised he was just getting big names for the sake of it. And actually, he should be marrying the actor with the part rather than doing the J&T thing of, oh, let's have Beryl Reed, let's have Joan Sims, let's have, you know. Because mm. they're all doing their, their accents anyway. I couldn't tell who half of them were anyway. I couldn't tell which one Simon Pegg I was. Thought, I thought the best was Jessica Hines. I genuinely, but, as an actress, but, I think she can do She no was wrong. doubling up and I could tell it was her. Yeah, so she was doing night. the two parts, which I thought were the same person. And then she went Russian and I was like, is she playing three parts? Is she playing two? Is she playing what is she doing? Because it's just her throughout. So look, you're literally, this is exactly what Gary Russell feared. That well, the, yes. the listener would be at home going, well, this is cheap. Yeah, have got people playing several parts. Um, there are quick episodes, though. I think it flew by, the story. No, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad they were short episodes. Um... What do you reckon of Cosmo Devine? Because I know you don't really like madly camp Doctor Who. And he's like, hello, little lady. Not as bad again as Minuet in Hell Guy. Who's that? The rep, what's his name there? 
Malibu. Yeah, yeah Malibu. all of that stuff. No, it, it added a certain flavour to it, and you needed that amongst all the other gangster stuff. Um, maybe there was too many plot elements going on here. Maybe you could take one of them out, and it would still be an alright story. Yeah, I'm wondering if this could lose an episode, you know. Mind you, it's, no, it's kind of... It's we could do it as an hour. Yeah, it could be an hour-long story. I think, I, thought, I think nowadays, if this was coming out in an 8th Doctor you box know, set, it would be a one-hour... You know, the like the Lucy Miller-style adventures that have real pace They were like 45 minutes, weren't yeah, they? Yeah. yeah, I think you could probably do that with this. Mm. What other fascinating facts have I got you here? Hit me. I'm going to hit you, don't you worry. Did you know <laughs> that um, Orson Welles was dead against War of the Worlds to start off with? He went on no part of it. He weren't going to write it. He said, I don't want to do it. <laughs> then, when it was massively successful, <laughs> he claimed it was his idea all along. <laughs> and originally, Gatiss was going to lean into that. And then he got carried away with the whole aliens coming down mm. during, during War of the Worlds and the Doctor playing the mad camp villain. It's almost a bit of those precursors to your new series, Celebrity Historical, in a way, with Orson Welles. Oh, it absolutely is. Mm. Yeah, yeah, although it doesn't really go into much about his background, does He's it? not that prominent in I'll really, learn more though. about Cosmo Davina than Nazis. Yeah, yeah, you do, yeah. Than anyone yeah, else. They, maybe they could have made it, you could have done that. And um, a bit more in there. This is the only Big Finish story to be directed by Mark Gatiss. Uh, he wanted to direct Phantasmagoria, but it couldn't happen at the time. I don't think that's to this story. No, strength. probably not. No. I think Gary Russell would have done a better job of this and he would have given it a bit more flow. I'm not gonna write, I'm not gonna write this off. I think this is really fun. Mm. I could tell this was an inexperienced big finish Doctor Who audio director. Mark Gatiss has directed plenty of stuff. Um, and I've, I wonder sometimes if you're too close to the project that you can't hear the ridiculous accents you're asking but people At this to point say. in Big Finish, there's not that many. I mean, Gary Russell's doing the majority of them. He needs to have a bit of a break if he's doing everything else. Well, I said that, didn't I? So, One like, of my they, they probably are trying to get a few more directors to t- you know to help well, that's ease you, the slack you get Barnaby Edwards don't you in yeah. the times of midnight and mm. I think more come up as we go along yeah. now but by up to this point this first 30 well, or so he must be fucking exhausted exactly and so he was probably news. welcoming if, do you remember I said he read all that slush pile of scripts I know he's reading the scripts he's editing the scripts he's fighting out with Alan W. Lear he's directing <laughs> he's acting death to traitors you know Jesus <laughs> God Gary you must have been fucking exhausted man yeah. I'm <laughs> I thought I thought this fulfilled its function. Yes, it was okay. It's not anything terrible. It's all right. It's not I don't know if the it's most one amazing recommend. one. And I wouldn't recommend it to someone who hasn't listened to many big finishes before or hasn't heard The Eighth Doctor before. No. There's better ones out there. Yeah, and I, I do wonder if the sort of patently absurd accents would put people off. Mm. It, it does seem to be a bit of a sticking point with people, especially American accents. Well, they just the don't time, always you know, do it. I'm waiting for the writer or the director to come at me saying, no, they're actually Americans. Right. Well, I don't think we've had that many so far, actually, have we? There are some there, terrible Not in Minuet and Hell there wasn't. Do you remember Renaissance of the there Daleks? Will be. Oh, go on. No, let's not talk about that. <laughs> right, let's go on to the next one, shall we? If you're all done for Invaders. Yes, okay. Okay, here we go. Absolute now we're the classic. Why are you rolling your eyes? Oh, well, okay. Um, the Chimes of Midnight, released in February 2002, with Paul McGann and India Fisher, of course. Also starring Lennox Greaves, Louise Rolfe, and Sue Wallace. This was written by Rob Shearman, directed by Barnaby Edwards, 
with music by Russell Stone. Russell, yeah, absolutely. Now, can I just say one thing? Right, I think everybody will know what I'm talking about when I say this. Are you ready? That bit music at the beginning, it just gets you in there straight away, doesn't okay, it? Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question. Go on. <laughs> ask me a question. Yeah, I know. Um, why, why are you saying that like you don't ask me questions? Well, I don't usually. Okay. Why is this the story that everybody says, oh, you need to listen to be finished, listen to the chimes of midnight, this is the one to listen to. This always gets recommended to fans, non-fans, everybody. Why is this always the number one you are big saying story. this as if you need to be convinced well no just tell well like I, i've written it down uh, if you'd like me to please t- please tell us i've said this is the whole package it's scary it's funny it's clever it's silly it's full of character it has great set pieces and it has a satisfying conclusion and it ties into the arc of the season Abs- brilliantly Absolutely brilliant. I think the direction is peerless. Do you know how long it took them to do the sound design on this? No. And it's a lot longer than your average Big Finish. Six weeks they spent doing the, the production. And then the music, I think, took as long as well. And I'm sorry, but everything we've heard so far is in the dust to the post-production work on Chimes of Midnight. Well, no, we had the one Doctor, didn't we, we no, before? No, it, it was excellent. This is superlative. No, I absolutely agree. And I love the atmosphere of this. Um, and, I, yeah, I would always re- I would recommend this up there with the one Doctor. It's, it's another style, though, isn't it? The, the one Doctor was that comedy, witty, um, farcical... Christmas, this is pantomime. now pantomime. <laughs> this is your Christmas ghost story. Yeah. This oh, has boy, all the complete atmosphere. This is Listen in the Dark. This I, is, it's got that that classic Doctor Who open. It's pretty much just oh, the Doctor and Charlie and investigating. And I you do love that. love that. I have always thought that I have, I have loved this story, but I have also thought that maybe there's, by the time it gets to part three, You've had a lot of the same things. And I know that's the idea that it goes around again and again. But maybe sometimes, maybe four parts is just that little bit too oh, long no, sometimes. No. That's all I'm going to say. That's my only of criticism of it. I do love it, though. I'm not saying I hate that it or anything. It might be the best but, first episode Big Finish has but ever But the first out. episode, the opening, With them yes. exploring the scullery. Yeah. And then you've got the ghosts from the past mm. coming into the present. Aha! I've hunted the turkey. Already cooked and waiting to be eaten. Christmas Eve, then. The kitchen should be buzzing with action. So where is everybody? What worries me, Charlie, is that they might still be here all around us. That we are the ones who've gone missing somewhere. Shh! Doctor? What's that? I can't hear anything. It's very quiet. Listen. Hark the herald angels sing. Ah. Do you hear it? Oh. Huh. It's gone now. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on God and singers reconciled. It's sinners, Edith, not singers. Oh, Mr. Shaughnessy. Mind you, with singing as bad as that, I'm sure God would find reconciling himself with sinners by far the lesser sacrifice. I'm sorry, sir. I didn't hear you come in. I should think you didn't, Edith, not with all that racket. What is it in aid of? I'm sorry, Mr. Shaughnessy. 
It's just it's Christmas, isn't it? I always love a bit of Christmas, mate. Whatever the reason, it hardly explains or excuses your caterwauling. It's not clunky dialogue as well. No, it's terrific there, dialogue. There's explaining and you can picture all of this happening. But the what way they're back and forth <laughs> and they're investigating, <laughs> it doesn't say... Oh, they do sort of say, oh, this has happened, this has happened. But it doesn't... It's not clunky in some other... No, that like, we have had before. You know, that's the few before flows. about crafted dialogue. Yeah. Rob, Rob Schumer can write dialogue. Yeah. And then he's got that Robert Holmes factor. Mm. It's, it can be very heightened dialogue, yes. but it's very sayable dialogue. Mm. I do like the bit where the doctor's in the TARDIS and he goes, Oh, just describe it for me, Charlie. And he goes, Ooh, silent and fruity. Mm. It sounds enchanting. It's brilliant. <laughs> and the performances <laughs> in this, well, you've Paul McGann and your Fisher are at, never at their. Always at their best. I never at their best. You know what I mean? They're never better. Never better. That's what I'm well, trying to I, say. I, I'm almost willing to bet you would say they're better in Scurzo together. I love. I do love that but one. But I think well. this is their best. Uh, in t- well, actually, maybe time with Seasons of Fear. They're just well, on fire because, at this point. I mean, love all of the Eighth Doctor stories, but looking back, going through in order, I mean, we love Storm Warning. I wasn't hot on Sword of Orion, Stones of Venice, Minuet, here with Ages of Mind. Chimes of Midnight, we're in their second season, and really the big hit, like, this isn't where they, ha- this is a great script that hasn't got any of the issues that I've had with some of these stories. If you see what I mean, you're looking back at these first, what, six that they've had, and actually only really two of them are my well, Three favorites. for me, because I like Stones of Venice. Yeah, yeah like. you like Stones of Venice a lot. So in terms of actually the, the quality that we found... It's been hit or miss. It has been quite hit yeah. and miss. It hasn't been, oh my well, God, this is amazing. I think when this one here, when this one came out, then everyone was like paying attention to this range. I don't remember it at the time coming oh, out. I do. I know... Looking I remember the back, review in Doctor Who magazine being like, "I know now. I don't. It just suddenly got this reputation over years and years and years." What do you Everybody... know as well? It's it's playing in a way. It's almost safe territory because it's leaning into that whole upstairs downstairs thing, isn't it? Yeah, and this is the years servants, before Downton Abbey. Was... Servants below stairs. Yeah, but it's so tragic the idea mm. that these people, like in Downton Abbey, those people are respected, mm. aren't they? And they're 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 given time off and they're friends with some of the the gentry and things mm. like this. These people are just treated horribly, and it's a small setting, small cast. Mm. A weird, like um, well, just literally in this house, isn't it? It's very contained. You could film this, and it's perfect for this audio compared to Invaders from Mars, where we've got this whole list of all these people doubling up and everything. Don't have any of that in this. It's just very contained. But what uh, what I really loved was initially it was very horrific. Like that first mm. cliffhanger where you hear the scream for the first time. It's really scary. Or even in that very first scene where you hear the house sort of laughing. Mm. You know, and going. <sighs> When I first heard that, I listened to this in the dark. When I first heard it, give you the hippie-chippies. Yes, but then the 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 really funny set pieces start coming in. So Mrs. Baddeley has been uh, stuffed to death with her own plum pudding, or um, what's the what's the driver's name? He's been um, uh, driven over by his own his own Chrysler. Oh, Bentley, whatever it is, and in the carriage of Edith, (laughs) brilliant. (laughs) Yeah, like, as a character study, um, I think this is one of the most successful Big Finish stories. And it's purely because of Edith. The reason she's so effective is she has that history with Charlie, doesn't she? And the fact that Charlie, who ba- barely looked at the woman, 
she considered her to be her best friend because she threw her a bit of kindness every now and again. That's how pathetic her life is. It's mm. so sad. And it really does lean into, it does make you think about how people were treated back then. Mm. Yeah, played by Louise Rolfe. Who's that? Who we have heard before in our finished beginning. We have. Uh, in The Tomorrow People, she played Katia in the very first Oh my God, Zane and Katia. Zane and Katia. She was in that. Amazing. Yes. Well, she was better in this. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, but uh, as well, then, after the comedy sequences here, you know, they've got the fellow who's got the um, sink plunger mm. on his face. And when they pull it off, he goes... <laughs> um, then you start getting these amazing set pieces. I love the bit at the end of episode two where he's like... Well, nothing's going to happen until midnight. And then the clock starts chasing towards midnight. Like the pacing of those scenes and the sort of the momentum of the drama. It's, I think it's astonishing. It's such good audio drama. And the voices fit perfectly to all the characters, don't they? The characters. Yes. They are yeah, quite, yeah, yeah. so you can see them. Didn't I tell perfectly. you? You are nothing, Edith. You are... Will you stop that caterwauling? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Christmas wouldn't be Christmas without my plum pudding. Yeah, I mean, that's a classic, isn't it? Do you know it? what? I watched an episode of Trolleyed once, right? Mm. And Sue Wallace appears just as a customer at the till. The second I heard her voice, I went, oh, it's Mrs. Baddeley. <laughs> She's just got that voice, hasn't she? She has. It's, it's unfortunate because when you hit Seasons of Fear, I'm wondering why the cook from the Trials of Midnight is turning up as the queen. Mm. But there we go. But uh, you can tell why this was, I think this was the first... Uh, vinyl release that Big Finish did years and that years cover. later. Did you see that cover? With that new cover. I mean, imagine Gorgeous. listening to this on vinyl and that, that quality you, that you get. I mean, it's it's always going to be the classic. I mean, are Big Finish ever going to beat The Chimes of Midnight? I the think... reputation and this is the one. Because you have all these... I don't Has know, it, if, like, literally, if you go on Death YouTube and, and type in Big Finish recommendation, it'll be at the top of everyone's list. Yeah. But Death in the Family, that's, that's tied into a massive story arc. What's so this? But but you can listen to this on its own still and get what's going on. Because you get the chance yeah, to be taken out because it's about her. I don't think there's anything else. Can I mean, we... I've got other favourites, but I can see I can see why everybody says Chimes of Midnight. Can we talk about how adeptly that arc is dealt with here? Because I think... This is where it really gets serious. We didn't... It? I don't think we had any clue that her surviving the R101, apart from the Doctor saying, oh, well, never mind, we'll talk about it later, in, yeah, the, in the first series. The, I don't, there wasn't much else in the first series. There was the Vorsisor stuff. He got a bit freaked out, didn't he? Did yeah. This is just like a few little hints, but... but... This is where it's like, okay, there's some serious issues going on here. And what I loved was how, in the climax of this story... Um, Charlie is put in a position of experiencing her death on the R101. Mm. Are you dead, my puppets, or are you alive? Mm. The whole, so essentially, I mean, I'm sure everybody knows this, but the paradox here is that Edith, when she found out that, so Charlie, the R101 crashed, they yeah. found Charlie's diary. Edith was the cook in Charlie's home in the future so not when this is set and because charlie was the only person that was ever kind to her she slit her wrist she committed suicide which is an extremely dark place for doctor mm. to go well they wouldn't do that now they wouldn't get not a, no, approved no, now i think so that's I, I doubt it well they did or it'd be hinted at it wouldn't be so in, explicit um what was mars mm. didn't they um anyways uh and then charlie materializes in Edward Grove in the house 
in Edith's past and she's alive at a point after she should have died. So the paradox is, are you dead, Charlie, or are you alive? Because if you weren't dead, I wouldn't have killed myself. And that's where we go in the last episode. And Jesus dark as fuck mm. the bit where she says um come on my poppet let's sit down here with the knives we should end our lives together <gasps> mm. and the music in those scenes as well it's haunting oh, the music throughout is oh, it's, it's so recognizable as well like you said at the beginning it's just you just know that that's from this story just those opening little because yeah. I suppose everyone's heard this so many times but all the sound as well I want to give a massive shout out to Lennox Greaves as well, who we last heard in Shadow of the Scourge. He did quite a lot, isn't he? A very different role in that. And we'll go on to here in Seasons of Fear, which is a very different role. But he gets a dual role in this. He plays Shaughnessy, the butler, who is... Occasionally he's kind to Edith, isn't he? But he's mostly a bit of a bully. But when he plays the house, that should be an absurd performance. It's really scary. Mm. He's, and he's doing, he's doing sort of this, you know, like, I only want to make you a cup of tea, Doctor. And it should be ridiculous, mm. but he plays it really well. It's how Richard Breyer should have done Paradise <laughs> Towers. That's how you do it. That, it should have been that level, you know. He should have, Richard Bryce should have Imagine taken some notes Imagine him doing it like Pro Yeah, oh I mean, uh, yeah, he could, it could have gone that way. You will be in my <laughs> body forever, Doctor. Yes. I'll be back to collect the rubbish later <laughs> terrible um i didn't actually write down a bad for this no i oh, think you know what? i can't believe it came out in february it should have come out at christmas time shouldn't it well yeah quite <laughs> and i think people put this on a, it's one of those like boxes yeah. delights type thing where yeah, you put it, it on at christmas it is isn't it because i mean they talk about the snow being outside just the victorian but christmas also, it works perfectly for audio this if you filmed this, yeah, I, it just wouldn't come across. The atmosphere wouldn't be there. Those ridiculous. It just wouldn't work as well. This is. It works perfectly for this medium as well. I think that's why it's I successful. Agree. Do you know who? And they're um, the successful ones, the ones that would only work as an audio drama. I think. The, well, I, they're I, the most unique yeah, audio. Well, like, you didn't think that Whispers of Terror. It's not trying to be a soundtrack to a TV episode. No, those ones annoy me. Yeah, that's what we've the got ones a lot that are in, That's what we have now. Yeah, pretty much all of them. That's what they're trying to be. But we'll this is there. still we'll in that time there. where actually this is a audio drama meant to be. Do you know who drama? Robert Shearman was um, battering off emails to whilst he was writing this? <laughs> Do tell me, <laughs> Jonathan Morris. Okay, because Jonathan Morris was writing Anacrophobia for the Eighth Doctor book range. Mm. And they were both sort of Sapphire and Steel-esque stories. Because this is very sad. This is very like the first assignment of Sapphire and Steel. Mm. Uh, a creepy old house, um, lots of clocks, things meddling with time, etc., etc. Scary moments. So they were sort of comparing notes so they weren't doing the same thing. And I don't know if you've ever read Anacrophobia. No. But it is a chilling book. There's a sequence, you know, because people start turning into clocks. There's a sequence where a man slits his wrist, a bit like Edith, and um, loads of cogs and words spurt out of his wrist. Sounds good. It's very scary. Very, very scary. Well, look, I do have some facts here. 
if you would like me to regale you with those. Yes, please, my poppet. <laughs> are you dead or are you alive? <laughs> <laughs> we should not pretend. Um, so Gary Russell did want to direct this one. Uh, there's talk of him and Barnaby Edwards reading this one night and scaring each other to death. Um, and this, I just wanted to say this because I think it shows what a selfless man. Uh, I think for Gary Russell, the product is more important than his ego. And he knew that Barnaby Edwards could get more out of this script than he could. So he gave what he considered to be the best script he'd had so far to somebody else. Well, I don't know if those in charge these days would be that selfless. You're nodding your head. I'm pleased to see it. No, sorry, you're shaking your head. Um, but Rob Shearman had a terrible time writing this. Given this is, like, considered the classic, he says, he's quoted as saying, the month I spent writing Chimes was the unhappiest of my career. I hated writing it. Um, I've never felt less confident about a script. Apparently, oh, I think he's just been dramatic. No, no, what... I mean, I know Rob a little bit, and I know, like most writers, he's a little tortured. Um, why would you lie about that? Why would you put that in an interview? Because it makes a good story. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's his most popular thing. <laughs> now, um, okay, well. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I totally got your guts you, in the corner. Yeah, you can't remember. Well, because he was writing an Alan Aitbourne play at okay. the same time. We recently saw an Alan Aitbourne play, didn't we? It was very fun. Oh, we did. Relatively speaking, mm. not starring Stephen Pacey and Lisa Goddard, because they were both in Spose that night, which you didn't tell me about. Sorry, back to the facts. Um, and he says that basically he, he rushed the play and it and it showed... And then he just quickly started bashing out the dialogue for Chimes of Midnight, hoping that the ideas would come and they just wouldn't. And he really had to work hard, quick, to sort of uh, get this into place. Um, I also wanted to give you a quote from director Barnaby Edwards, because I really like how he describes directing. Because I think if you go and look forward, some of the best stories are Barnaby Edwards' directed stories. Um, He says... uh, the pace and the feel of the story is like an ebb and flow. I feel like I'm conducting the scenes like an orchestra, orchestra leading to a dramatic crescendo. Well, he does that several times in this, like that end of episode two with time rushing away. All the cliffhangers are brilliant in this. Oh, the dramatic build-ups. You, oh, oh, you went, God. Uh, when episode three ended and he went, he's taken the house with us. And Mark went, oh, I've forgotten that happened. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dear. Russell Stone says, if there was ever a script that was designed to get the best out of me musically, Chimes was it. I hardly slept for days, writing music to convey pain, sadness and anguish. I think everybody involved in this was determined to make it as good as possible. When have we last had a Russell Stone? Was that Beneath Series 2? Russell Stone? No, we had him in Primeval. Oh, yeah, of course. He's done quite a few now. Yeah, he's he's one of the best musicians that they've got. I'm really not sure what else to say about Charles Midnight. I mean, predictably, we loved it. Not predictably, because we could have come at this and said, actually, this isn't as good as I remember, because that's where I'm going next. Oh, well, let's just go there. Okay. <laughs> so next up is Seasons of Fear, which was released in March 2002 with Paul McGann and India Fisher, obviously. Also starring 
Stephen Perring and Stephen Fuel. Oh, you love Stephen Fuel, don't you? <laughs> this was written by Paul Cornell and Caroline Simcox, directed by Gary Russell with music by Jane oh, no. Elphinstone. Elphinstone. Elphinstone, I got it right. Yeah, you did, well you done. You were for me to get it wrong. I was, because you always get it wrong. <laughs> well, go on, what do you think? Okay, Seasons of Fear. Now, this is a very different story. Very different. A bit of a... Uh, a bit of a chase style all over the place, journey through various different times and places. One might say a quest. A quest you do style like a quest, story. Don't you? Also very different with the narration from the Doctor throughout as well. That yeah. really struck me. I don't know if that was. I like that. All. I really like and I that. I don't understand why he's chatting to Rassilon. Because this ties in back later on in Neverland. Yeah, but it don't make sense in this story. You just have Don Warrington from Rising Damp turning up at the end going, Yeah, well, Doctor, this is, tell me some well, more. We've had Chimes of Midnight with all of the, the Ark stuff building and now we're really going into it even more now. So it does start, it starts with the Doctor getting Charlie to Singapore eventually where she wanted to get mm, to. Yeah. And she's meeting this guy, Alex. That's right, dirty bitch. That's the only reason she got on the R101, wasn't it? Well, so she could go and have a fucking Singapore. I, d- I didn't realise that. We, so we never actually meet Alex, do we? He's no. always just spoken off screen, as it were. We meet Sebastian Grail. We have Sebastian Grail, this new, um, this new villainous character. Um, Played by Stephen Perring. Yes. Who would go on to become... Oh, do tell me. He's the croaker in later seasons. Oh, yes. He plays a semi-regular. Croker. And I could Ooh. hear... I could, no. You can. Once you know the croaker, you know Mark's the croaker. Mark's face suggested that he wasn't a fan of the croaker. <laughs> well, I was just thinking about the croaker, but we won't go there right now. Dog, dog. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was at the Singapore Hilton, on the cusp of the years 1930 and 1931, that I first met Mr Sebastian Grail. I was sitting in the tea gardens at midnight on that New Year's Eve, looking down at the junks in the harbour, lit up with lanterns and setting off fireworks. I was wondering if I'd done the right thing. I was there for Charlie. Her journey on the R101 where I'd met her had been with the intention of keeping an appointment in Singapore with a chap called Alex. It's a pleasure to see you here. And you. Not that I know who you are. How do you feel about this hat? Such folly. Such arrogance. Such a pleasure not to meet a yes man. Here. Looks so much better on you. (laughs) For once, your mockery does not infuriate me, Doctor. This time, I am the one in control. Yes, I'm sure you are, but I'm still pretty certain we haven't met. Oh, but we have time, Lord. Are you confusing me with someone else? Right, okay. Stop talking about other things. Did you like this at the time, then? Yeah, really, a lot, actually. I think this might be the Stephen Moffat effect for me. I was going to say this is a very Stephen Moffat script. It is very, yeah, 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 but that's not what I'm talking about. Oh, okay. So, like, I think, like, people watched series six of the new series, right? Yeah, they watched Mm -hmm. The Rebel Flesh and The Almost People. Mm -hmm. They watched A Good Man Goes to War, Mm. right? Yeah, abysmal episodes of Doctor Who but they both end on dramatic highs Amy being killed oh sorry spoilers <laughs> and River Song turning out to be Amy's daughter oh mm. sorry spoilers um, that's been a while 
And so I think people come away from those episodes going, wow, what amazing episodes, because they finished the episode on a massive high. Well, Seasons of Fear has a massive cliffhanger at the end. So I think I came away with a, a sort of more confident impression of it than it... Now, don't get me wrong. I, there's a lot I've written that I like here. I think... This is written by two people. Paul Cornell, who's right and I have issues with, because he does lean into that sort of fucking heart on his sleeve stuff that really irritates me. Um, but I feel as if you can tell this has, this has come from two writers. And it says here that they wrote it apart. Paul Cornell wrote the first draft. Carolyn Simcox wrote the second draft. And by the time the second draft came in, they couldn't make any revisions because they were going in the studio to get it done. So, right. <laughs> so, okay. she, so she couldn't be edited. There's a lot of exposition in this. A lot. A lot of historical facts. A lot of people spouting who they are, what there they're was about. A lot. There was a lot of... There was action, but then there was a... Let's stand around and just explain Loads. this and this and this. There was... Yeah, I did notice and that. And did you notice it's essentially the same set piece over and over again? Like, the Doctor Fairly. is going after Sebastian Grau because he meets him in Singapore mm. and he basically says, Doctor, I'm immortal. Mm. <laughs> and... You've dogged my footsteps throughout yeah. time and I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Well, actually, that does happen, doesn't it? Because there's a scene where he thinks he has killed the Doctor. Mm. Later it all in the story. ties up. It's, it's very Curse of Fatal Death, it in is. a way. Yeah, and it does it, tie up really, really well. And I think, I think they sort of cross all the T's and dot all the I's. I think they are very meticulous in, yeah, when if something's foreshadowed, it is paid off. However, later on, at some Cornell point. Cornell credits Simcox for that. Apparently, she was good so, on the detail. Has she written any others? Uh, yeah. I feel uh, like I know the name. She wrote The Council of Nicaea, didn't she? Yes, that's it. That's, so that she wrote one as well. I think yeah. that's an absolute okay. I wasn't sure if it was a Paula Moore situation. Um, and that's another historical, isn't it? Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So she has written other stuff. Um, but, and so the Doctor has to go after Sebastian Grail. So he's trying to figure out, one, who his alien masters are, mm. and two, where they first met, and where they're going to try and come to the Earth. So he has to keep going to all these different points in history... And so we just keep having him come along, meet some historical characters. Sebastian Grail turns up and goes, oh, I'm going to, you know, kill you all. And then the Doctor stops him and he goes, oh, curse it! You know? that's, that's the sort of format of the quest story anyway, and I don't mind that. It's, it is the same thing. It's let's go to the next location. Well, and you have said that you moment. thought Chance of Midnight was repetitive. I thought this was a bit repetitive. Come episode three. Oh, that's three. in a different way, though. It's in a different way. And weirdly enough, I think the history's done pretty well. You do mm. learn a lot. There's a really wonderful scene in episode one where they go, I'm not sure where they are, uh, what time period. The King are. and Queen. No, no, no. Uh, Stephen Fewer's The Soldier. It's Roman times, isn't Roman it? Roman times, yeah. yeah. And they're talking about religious fundamentalism. Mm. Now the Christians are just coming in. And he goes, well, no one's going to bother with Christianity. He goes, they'll stick with our religion. All they've got to do is say a few Hail Marys on a Saturday and then they can have a virgin and they'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, spoilers, everyone. I mean, we're halfway through the episode. There are spoilers for this series, if you haven't heard this. How surprised were you when the Nymon turned up? Oh, my God. I have a podcast named after that. <laughs> yes. I was in my fucking did, element. So did you get it when you heard that alien voice in part one? No. Because they have changed no. it a little it's bit. Going, it's great. It's very it's similar, Grudon. but it's not explicit. It is only really in that right at the end of was part four, isn't it? That they're yeah. really in it. So how, how well, how out of the 
blue after, to have the nine one of all after things. After Dust Breeding Episode 2 with the Master Reveal. Yes. This was my favourite. This is the next one. Yeah. Until... I'm going to give you a little spoiler for the future. Mm-hmm. Omegas episode three. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah, they have done some... Yeah, great surprises. Keep a of these big twists that they've done. They do, you know, for all of their... Let's stick everyone on the cover to make you buy there it. There is a ball on the they cover. They did used to... Yeah, I mean, it is there if you maybe look at it. Yeah. The trouble is, the is what you, the, we've been ruined now because... So, ruined... Sounds <laughs> filthy. Um, no, but we've been spoiled because they've literally done a sequel to every fucking classic story now, or most mm. of them. Mm. So we've had so much continuity. Back then, Gary Russell said in that commentary he did with me, he deliberately only chose the Daleks, the Cybermen, and just maybe two others. I think it was the Nine well, we had like the Master and the Sumerians. Yeah. We've had a few of the big ones, haven't but we? We haven't had out. loads. Yeah, it's not, not every like not every week. <laughs> and nowadays, this would be press release. The Nine One Return da, 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 in the news. Series of Paul McGowan, they'd yeah. be right front. But I like how it was just very just, yeah, it's the nine one. No one mentioned it, it just happened, and you discover it when you get the CD. The only other story I can think of, because obviously I love the nine one, yeah. but I, they are not considered to be one of the best successes of Doctor <laughs> well, Who. probably Monsters. good for audio, actually. The only time I've seen this done better is when. Uh, Alien Bodies, the Eighth Doctor book, had the crotons. The crotons yes, up. yeah, and you think it's going to be it's the, the same sort of thing. Yeah. But actually, I do want to say, though, this is the Invasion of Time effect, because I think the Sontarans coming in in the Invasion of Time is a brilliant cliffhanger, and they're a bit rubbish. Why well, haven't the Nine One did much in episode four? Well, they're not. Really. They're just the alien masters. It's, it's Sebastian Grout is the big villain of this. It's not whoever he's working with. It, it could be anyone, really. It's just nice that it's the Nine One. What was your yeah. favourite historical period? I think mine was the King and Queen. I don't know. Played I by Lennox like Greaves first... and yeah. Sue Wallace again. I like the Stephen Fuel. Uh... Well, of course you did. You kept <laughs> thinking of him dressed up as a Roman and getting all moist, weren't you? Oh, God. <laughs> no, but I liked the beginning of it when you're finding out that, that mystery and the relationship between the Doctor and Charlie is brilliant here. It's such what the energy that they both have. It's throughout this. Uh, and when they're investigating the Roman cr- cramp, the Roman camp, when they're going through and she has to go through the... You forget about Stephen know, Fuel, just... <laughs> <laughs> He's having a Roman cramp. <laughs> I don't, just the way that they're working together and investigating, and they just get on with it, and it's quite fast-paced. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I like that, but they never... have that energy, um, and that's that's what I really enjoy what, in this. See, where, whereas I found the plotting a little bit repetitive... I found the interaction absolutely mm, sparkling. Yeah. And Cornell and Simcox write for McGann and Fisher. Oh, brilliant. Especially Fisher, who is so funny in this. Mm. The bit where she goes, I went to an orgy once. Yeah. I didn't stay. Well, we go to Hellfire Caves. So oh, there's yeah. a bit of a throwback to Minuet in Hell with the Hellfire Club. But she's so resourceful. She's picking up swords. And she's, yeah, and she's fighting getting people, people manacled to walls. Yeah, yeah. And she's still the equivalent of the... The rose of this time period of Doctor when Who. people look back at this period and think of the Charlie Pollard, yeah, is, these this are the, is it. Chimes of Midnight and Seasons of Fear yeah. and Neverland. They're the she stories is, they're thinking she is about. It. She's really, really she great. Really in is. This. Well, so I think once we hit the Divergent universe, she gets a bit serious. Well, she's gone a bit. Yeah, she's maybe past her best by then. No, then she gets really good again with Colin Baker. Sorry, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. talking about the future yeah. again. But this is peak current Doctor and companion yeah. of Doctor. You know, we're heading towards the 40th anniversary here. You know that so we're getting, uh, Eighth Doctor and Charlie um, classic Doctor's New Monsters mm. that they did? with the, yeah. New, yeah, the recent one. 
they were leaning into this season. This is what he was aiming for. That sort of energy between what? them, that chemistry. We've not heard the recent box set, but yeah, any sort of stories has to fit before Neverland, yeah. don't they? They have to fit in these seasons. It's literally... Because once you know it's it divergent... It's Big Finish it. looking back to their glory yeah. days. And, you know, for all of my complaints about this story, this was a a popular season. These were Big Finish I've days. enjoyed this one more this time. I wasn't, oh, didn't think see, I was going to enjoy way. it. I've enjoyed this. Yeah, I do, I do like this one. Do you know why? I think I thought the first episode was excellent and the suspense and the mystery around Grail was great and then the Doctor and Charlie go off mm. into history and they're having fun together and being a bit flirty and silly and all this. And I was like, oh, this is great. And then we did this again and again. And then in episode four, it became all sort of science fiction-y didn't it? All about spaceships and the TARDIS and the Nymon well, ships. Well, the Nymon come in and you, yeah, well, you're waiting for that because you've had that, the threat of the alien, whoever he's working for, in the background It was just weird time. after all that history. But I like that. Again, that's the weird. quest thing. You're changing your scenery and you're changing your style as you go through. I like that. I, I don't mean, think you could have had it just in one I'd time. only knock this down a notch. I, th- I think as well, I, like I said, I did learn a lot. The King and Queen, they mm. jump in they throw in a load of historical details about them, mm. which that he was gay. And <laughs> yeah. no, I don't remember that. Bit. He was gay. She said, "Did you enjoy your weekend away I with the Earl of so and so?" I knew you were and he says, that bit. "He says, well, well, my lady, did you enjoy the time <laughs> while I was away? You know, dirty pair, weren't they?" Uh, and it's very funny all the stuff about um, the Doctor agreeing to marry. Queen mm. before, and that's why she's really pissed with him now. Mm. Like, I don't want to say this wasn't fun. This was really, really fun. I, I do. I find the narration weird. I find the repetitive nature of the plot a bit wearying. But overall, it was really bouncy. The dialogue was really good. And then, right at the very end, you get you think everything's over, and then you have the first appearance of Centris. Centris, that's her name. Hello. Who looks like Charlie? Who is this mysterious character that is just Paul Cornell was appalled. So, Do you know why? Why? Because he wrote that uh, character Lucy Martin previously of Neighbours. Um, <laughs> she's in the TARDIS, isn't she? In the last episode, yes. she's a sort of Regency broad that mm. Grail was going to marry and then going to kill. Mm. So she goes along in the TARDIS and helps to plug the fast return switch or <laughs> yeah. something. Yeah, and she gets killed by this centrist. Well, Paul Connell didn't write that. Gary Russell wrote that scene at the end. So when the story came out, he was like, "What? She was my would-be companion. <laughs> You've murdered her off." No, I think that's a really good a ending. I was really surprised when I first ever heard that. I was yeah. like, what? Who's this? What's going on? I also think it shows that Gary Russell has terrific instincts for dramatically structuring a season. The second story where we get a sort of up close and personal, this is what should have happened to Charlie. The third story, now we're getting the consequences. Mm. And then come Neverland, the shit has hit the fan. And you can do these heavier arcs with these moments because actually at this point that everyone is buying your big finish you've probably subscribed to the six cds yeah like it's not i don't think they're really relying on the odd i mean it's not i do anyway they do it they haven't really changed but i'm just saying they're not like oh if you pick this up you're going to get confused if just on its own like i think everybody is buying them all anyway so they can do these things to link them up yeah yeah, I agree. Well, that's what they do now, yeah. isn't it? But that's all they do now, yeah. 16 part epics. It's not a jumping on point. Whenever they say it, I'm just saying it again. <laughs> Whenever they say on the Big Finish website, this is a perfect jumping on point, it's not. Although, technically, you could <laughs> it's say the that opposite. about Invaders from Mars. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Listen to this season and you've caught up. <laughs> that's um, 
I thought uh, Paul McGann was excellent in Storm Morning and in Stones of Venice, but struggled in Sword of Orion and Minuet in Hell. Mm. He is amazingly good in this season. Like, all three stories. And I think he's just getting better. The, the one duff note, and it's not a performance, it's the writing. It's the bit in Seasons of Fear where he goes, I really thought I was going to murder him. Oh, yeah, that what was a bit was strange. About? He, about his anger yeah, or something. I was so angry. I, I could just see myself murdering him horribly. I was like, well, that came out of nowhere. You know, recently we've been listening to uh, Stranded. Mm. And I have many thoughts about that. that. Yeah. No, 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 well, I'm not going to go. But I was going to say, then I look back at performances like Chimes at Midnight. He's a very different like doctor. Oh, he's brilliant here. He is still the, the fun TV movie doctor here. Yeah, if anybody fell in love. Yeah, but, but he's also playing other things, isn't he? He's doing drama. But he's adding on to that. He's adding that those fun bits from the TV movie that we all love. He's building on that. Like, and we didn't mention this, but in Chimes of Midnight, the sequence at the end where he says, Charlie, I need you, mm. you know, and it really sells their relationship. And this starts the lovey bit, doesn't it, that comes on a bit later yeah, in Neverland, the you know, season, this seeds it, doesn't it? We're saying I love you for the first <laughs> time, oh my God. Um, I've only got one piece of trivia I have to tell you about. Oh, please. Immediately. Tell us all, we are all waiting. And that is... Can you guess who was originally asked to play Rassilon? Oh, I did read this. I did read this. Christopher Lee. And his uh, agent laughed at Gary Russell and said, he, I'm sorry, but he wouldn't be seen dead doing Doctor Who. I think Christopher Lee, I mean... He did I the Tomorrow people in the 90s. I know, I don't think he was a very nice person, actually. I don't think... No, but apparently was. the Rassilon was specifically written for Christopher Lee... And then they got Don Warrington in, oh, and Gary Russell said he was in awe of how good he was. He has got that sort of Zagreus lives inside mm. your head voice, doesn't he? And he you? does, in Zagreus, my favourite thing, he says, previously on Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's next? Well, should we have a chronology moment? Mark's chronology moment. It's not going to take very long. No. Because these three obviously follow each other in order. And they're going after the end of the last season, after Minuet in Hell. There will be some others, like we've said. They've retroactively added some Eve, Doctor and Charlie stories. So we'll have to work that out, won't we? Solitaire? Yeah, we've got Solitaire, Living Legend comes up. Heart of Orion? Oh, yeah, let's said about that the better. Got years before we get to there, thank God. Um, but no, it's just those three carrying on our lovely Eighth Doctor and Charlie adventures. All done. Well, that was brief. 54 yeah, seconds. Very, very easy. <laughs> I think we should find out what Docker Ho said back in the day. Oh, no. I've been revisiting that website recently, you know. It's very melodramatic. Not like me at all. Let's find out. <laughs> Okay, so, for Invaders from Mars, he was quite impressed. Quite impressed at the time. Yeah? Uh, Yes, although he wasn't impressed by the depiction of Charlie. He's quoted as saying, Does Charlie appear in this? 
Not really. That's true, actually. She doesn't do have she's, a lot to nah, do. Not compared it's, to the other two. She's locked up, I think, Yeah, for a lot of it. <laughs> He's then quoted as saying, Good golly gosh, Gary Russell is not directing this, baby. Oh, no, you're fed up with his direction I think, point. remember, I was quoted as saying a few episodes back that mm. I was a bit fed up of Gary Russell directing everything. Mm. You got your wish and you got invaders from Mars. <laughs> oh, no. Just be careful what you wish for. And nowadays, Jesus Christ, I would absolutely beg for Gary Russell to come back <laughs> and start, start directing big finishes again. Um, and he's also quoted as saying, this is one of the better McGann audios. I don't know what you're talking about. Although, this, you'd only, this was like, the fifth one you'd heard, presumably. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah, I was doing him in order, wasn't yeah. I? Yeah. One of the best of five. Yeah. I mean, I think at the so I gave it an eight mm. on the website. I think now I'd give it a seven. So I still think it's strong. Just not quite as strong. Okay, moving on to Chimes of Midnight then. I said, it gives India Fisher the chance to really grab hold of a script <laughs> and milk it for all the pathos, pathos it's worth rather than simply going... Golly gosh, all the time. Which I feel like they did lean into a bit in the first series. I think she was very fun. Oh my God, can you imagine the Chimes of Midnight, but it's Ace and the Seven oh, Fucked Up. And it's no. about Ace's childhood and it's Sophie oh, Aldridge. Oh no. <laughs> Without you, Ace, I wouldn't have stopped the Kasha at library. Edith, no! <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> imagine the bits where she had to pretend to be the child. <laughs> oh no! All right, you to cook for my ass, are you? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, God. Oh, India Fisher, you can stay. Um, oh, wicked professors are blonde pudding. <laughs> <laughs> I used to have this all the time at home. Oh, I just think it's just going to get even worse. Oh, it's a cracker. <laughs> What's that, Professor? Tom's racing ahead. <laughs> oh, terrible. Um, so he also says, phew. That is one intense storyline. He's <laughs> <laughs> fucking dramatic, isn't it? <laughs> Honestly. Um, and then he says, like the one doctor, I've heard this story more times than is probably sane to admit. And I find it as thrilling as I did on my first experience. Well, I'd like to take note of Doc Ho at this point because... The amount of fucking times I had to listen to Chimes of Midnight on this listen because somebody fell asleep every five minutes. <laughs> no, it was only the right Literally end listened to part four about 15 times to the point where she's going, are oh, you dead, my puppet, or are you alive? <laughs> and I'm like, make up your fucking mind. Anyway, sorry. I just had to just bring that up very quickly. Seasons of Fear. Oh, I had lots to say there. Another extremely innovative storyline. Stephen Perring manages to be melodramatic, a little bit sex... Sexy? Oh. What? <laughs> Stephen Perring. <laughs> That's great. That's the aggressive. What are you talking about? <laughs> a little about? bit sexy. you got to remember, I was younger. I was just... Ho- Lelonia made me horny at the time, all right? <laughs> Stephen Perring. <laughs> Stephen Perring, I'm so sorry, but you were getting me hot under the collar. He's also verbose, smug, sweet, and completely insane. I'm basically saying he's given a varied performance. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the Nymon get a heavy techno beat in the last episode that really suits them. What does that mean? <laughs> I think it's the bit where it goes. There we go. Heavy, 
Heavy nine on techno beat. <laughs> Do you think that'll be popular in the clubs? <laughs> <laughs> we are the nine on. Um, and uh, oh, I did say it's a little too fractured to be an all-conquering classic. Mm. Which, uh, but I gave it an eight at the time. I think I'd still give it an eight now. Good. Yeah. So um, there's only one thing left for us oh, to do. Yes. Are you ready for this? We better have some oral audacity. We've got three questions each. Invaders from Mars? Yeah, go for it. Okay, what holiday and year is this set in? Halloween. Yeah. 1932? 1938. Ah, I remember them saying that it's not... It was in Charlie's Future, but only just. Ah... Come on. Okay. What is the sponsor of Orson Welles radio series in this? What is the sponsor? Yeah. What? He's like in the story. Yeah, he's like sponsored by New York taxi cabs. Mm-hmm. Campbell Soup. Oh, I wasn't paying attention to that at all. Okay, Chimes of Midnight. Which three actors from this story appear in Seasons of Fear? Say that again. Which three actors from this story appear in Seasons of Fear? Uh, Lennox Greaves. Yeah. The one who plays Mrs. Badley. Yeah, who that's is Jean. No! Sue Wallace. Don't look at things! No, what I'm are you just doing? I'm remembering her name. So Lennox Greaves, Sue Wallace, and... Well, it's not. Louise Rolfe isn't. <laughs> are you sure? Is she in it? I'm not telling you. What, is she or not? Is that your answer? <laughs> yeah, okay, I'll say the reason. No, before. it's Robert Kerbishley. Oh. Who was the, the driver, whose name I keep forgetting. Uh, Sorry. Okay, what is special about the cover art of this story, of The Chimes of Midnight? Oh, um, India Fisher said that Clayton Hickman gave her cheekbones. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, the clock on the front features Big Ben. No. It does. Yeah, I know it does. Well, those are both significant things. Not, those are special, both significant it's things. not those things, okay? <laughs> um, what is significant about the cover of this? The house? The lights? Blue lighting? No, okay, I'll tell you. Um, this is the first time that an audio-only companion has been featured on the cover. Ah, yes, I did know that. We've not had anyone not else's Not the last, space. though. You've got... we've had, we haven't had Maggie Staples yet, gracing her appearance. We've not had... She, she will soon. We've not had Aramem. She turns up on the Sandman looking all green and, <laughs> green and scaly. Isn't she? Okay. Seasons of Fear. What drink does Charlie order and in what hotel? Well, she's at the Singapore Hilton. Yeah. Is it a Singapore sling? I need an answer. Oh, fuck. I don't... I wanted to say it was a Singapore sling, but it's because I'm thinking of the Singapore Hilton. Cool, scare. Is it a gin sling? No. Oh, something, oh, is I there a, a sling? I need a specific answer. It's a something please. sling. No, it's a Singapore Hilton. I'm going to say gin sling. It's a Singapore Hilton and a Singapore sling. Oh, it is! <laughs> yes, I got no! You went for a gin sling. No, I knew there was. No, you went for a gin sling. I'm sorry. Singapore sling soon. Yeah, but lovely, wouldn't it? In Singapore Hilton. Well, 
Maybe. Uh, we'll listen to Seasons of Fear. <laughs> yeah. We'll listen to The Girl Who Never Was. <laughs> Are they back there for I that? I think she gets there then. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to get for that one. In Seasons of Fear... Yeah. What does Charlie say the Doctor smells of? Honey. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you might think it's weird the way I'm saying that, but that's how Morgane says it in Battlefield. <laughs> The air was like honey. <laughs> yes, well remembered. Well, I've got to say, right, that is a pretty confident one, two, three punch for the second series of Paul McGann's. There's no yeah. duffer there. Yeah. I think there's an out-and-out classic and two very good stories. But we are only halfway through this series. I know. Where else We've are we going three next? three more. So next, we'll do the next three. And they are Embrace the Darkness. Embrace the Darkness. Time of the Daleks. Oh, I don't know any quotes for that. And Neverland. Oh, I can't remember! <laughs> I love that opening. I love that opening. It's so good. Oh, my God. Oh, exciting, exciting. And what is unique about that episode? Do tell us. I've already mentioned it. Featuring Luke Malloy from the ex-Lost on Gallifrey podcast, who's coming on to grace us with his love for Paul, Paul McGann and the Eighth Doctor, yes. Because I think they did some reviews of uh, Paul McGann's stories and Big Finish stories, didn't they, on Lost on Gallifrey? Uh, well, I heard Luke's Stranded review and I didn't buy it after that. Oh, did he hate it? Because I was going to get it at the time and I've only just got it like... Having just listened to Stranded, no, it just I can understand no, entirely. Know, so absolutely trust his reviews. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a little taster for what's coming up. <laughs> that is enticing. Um, so we'll see you for then. See you for then. Uh, no, and don't forget and don't to... Forget Get to finish, finish big, big, big. big. <laughs> <laughs>